Well, that song that was playing was one of the favorite songs in the Smidgen household as of late. We have listened to that song innumerable times in our household this past year. Why? Because we are so prone to complain, so prone to grumble, so prone to replace gratefulness with grumbling. And that is our topic this morning. So let us lead off with Keith Green, who sings a song, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. Let me read you the first words here. So you want to go back to Egypt, where it's warm and secure. Are you sorry that you bought the one-way ticket when you thought you were so sure? You wanted to live in the land of promise, but now it's getting so hard. Are you sorry that you are in the desert instead of your own backyard? Well, there's nothing to do but travel. We sure travel a lot. Because it's hard to keep your feet from moving when the sand gets so hot. And in the morning, it's manna hotcakes. We snack on manna all day. And they sure had a winner last night for dinner. Flaming manna souffle. (laughs) But we once complained for something new to munch. The ground opened up and had some of us for lunch. Ooh, such fire and smoke. Can't God even take a joke. Grumbling, my friends, is no laughing matter. It's one of those little sins that we can often excuse, perhaps because it's so common, perhaps because it seems so normal, about as natural as sneezing. So comes grumbling. And to grumble, as we'll see in our text today, is to test God. So the question this morning Will you test God, or will you trust and obey Him? Will you test God by your grumbling and complaints, or will you trust Him through faith-filled obedience? Don't test God, but trust God. Today we've been looking at the bitter waters of unbelief. Exodus 15, 22 through chapter 17, verse 7. So we pick up our narrative today in Exodus 15. The people of Israel have just been delivered from Egypt through the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea. No sooner had their partying and celebration ended. No sooner had the service ended here in the auditorium than they walked out to boot camp. Verse 22. And the grumbling and the complaining began. You see, it's one thing, isn't it, to sing this song you just sang on a Sunday morning. Haven't you been good? And that resonates. You are my king. It's one thing to sing it here, and rightfully we should, appropriately so. But it's another to sing this song, these songs, on a Monday morning. To sing these songs when your car breaks down. To sing these songs when that check bounces. To sing this song when your child is in the ER. To sing this song when you fail that exam for the second or third time. To sing that song when your grocery budget allotment is at zero until the second week of the month. Oh, it's much easier to sing that song here than it often is in the wilderness, in the battlefield that God has called us to. What I love about this text this morning is this. It is so relatable. 
It is so relatable. It doesn't excuse our sin this morning, but this text gives us a Godward perspective in which to interpret our trials in the wilderness that God leads us through. We need that perspective. And I believe God wants to grant to us the faith to hear this morning. With that in mind, let's open up your Bible. It's not already open to Exodus chapter 15. I'm not going to read the entire passage, but parts of each narrative. So you can get a flavor. You can hear God's word this morning. Exodus 15, starting with verse 22. This is the word of God. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Chapter 16, verse 1. They set out for Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you, that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Moving on, chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, 
Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the people said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah in Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let us pray. Word of God, speak to us this morning. Convict us. Comfort us. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Show forth your glorious provision in your Son, Jesus Christ, this morning. That we may walk in the desert, in the wilderness, and fear not. For you are God is with us. Lord, show us your glory this morning. In your Son, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in each chapter we read, we have three wilderness accounts here, or narratives, each linked by a common theme. And that theme, as you read, is a theme of testing. Chapter 15, wilderness of Shur, God turns the bitter water into sweet water. Water's a blessing. Chapter 16, the wilderness of sin, there is no food, and yet God provides meat and bread, quail and manna for his people. Chapter 17, there is no water, and God graciously provides water from a rock. It's clear from this text that God is, doing, is the one doing the testing. It's also clear that we as his people are the ones who are to do the trusting. For we read in chapter 15, verse 22, There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Excuse me, verse 25. We read as well, Exodus 16, verse 4, second part, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So God is clearly testing the people whom he has delivered. But chapter 17, we see something different. Suddenly the roles have been reversed. And it is God's people who are testing God. The people of God have found an incumbent upon themselves to test God. We read in verse 2 of chapter 17. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? How do we test the Lord? We test the Lord through our grumbling, through our complaining, through our quarreling. We test God by grumbling or quarreling. Notice what Moses is saying here. When you are quarreling with me, you are really complaining and testing God. In fact, the two go hand in hand. Quarreling and complaining and testing God. Verse 7, chapter 17. And he called the name of the place, Massah, meaning testing, and Meribah, meaning quarreling. 
because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord. In other words, to test God is to quarrel. They are synonymous. Another word used for quarreling in this text is the word grumbling. We find it at least seven times in this passage. But we read in verse 8 of chapter 16, your grumbling is not against us, ah, but against the Lord. Do you get the point? It's ultimately God whom we're grumbling to. It's ultimately God whom we are quarreling with. When we grumble to our spouse, when we grumble to our boss, God forbid when you grumble to your pastor, you ultimately are grumbling to God, your maker and your, redeem, your redeemer. When you grumble about gas prices, those they hit four bucks a gallon this summer. I'm planning a big road trip this summer. When I grumble about gas prices, I am grumbling to God. When we grumble about the cost of living in South Florida, and who hasn't, we are grumbling to God. When we grumble about budget cuts, a lot of those taking place, right? Miami Day Public Schools, FIU, jobs being lost, we grumble to God. When we grumble about political candidates and policies, we are grumbling against who? God. When we grumble about poor health, ailments, we are grumbling to God. When we grumble about not being able to sell or to buy a house here in South Florida, we are grumbling to God. Objection! You say, wait, 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 Corey. These are important issues. Can't I talk about these issues in my heart? These are burdens. Can I not share them for the sake of counsel and prayer? Yes, you can. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about venting. We're talking about complaining. We're talking about grumbling in our hearts. See, the Israelites were not rebuked for being hungry or thirsty. They were not rebuked for having needs or expressing those needs. They were rebuked for not turning to God in prayer and trusting Him to supply all their needs. They were rebuked for not trusting and obeying God. Instead of trusting God and verbalizing their need and trusting Him through prayer, they were expressing and verbalizing their need to others in the form of grumbling, quarreling, and ultimately dissension. Do you see the difference? In the end, they were rebuked, and so are we, when we grumble for patent unbelief. You see, grumbling or quarreling is unbelief. You see, grumbling is unbelief with an attitude. Grumbling. Say one more, once more. Got that from D.A. Carson this morning, my devotional time. Grumbling is unbelief with an attitude. My friends, when we have talk problems, i.e. grumbling, we have heart problems. When we have attitude problems, we have heart problems. For those who are with us during our biblical counseling seminar, you would know this. Luke 6, verse 45, kind of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Grumbling reveals our hearts, and we are busted. 
in particular, grumbling reveals what we believe about God, ourself, and others. It is clear here that the Israelites saw themselves as the victim and as God as the perpetrator. It's also important, this is why I want to camp this morning, that they were believing or not believing certain things about God in the moment of their grumbling that was not true, that were lies about who God is, his very nature, his very character, his very intent. You see, when we grumble, we're really questioning or doubting God, aren't we? We're either questioning his ability to provide, or we're questioning his willingness and wisdom in providing. In other words, we're questioning his sovereignty, or we're questioning his goodness and his wisdom. Either way, we are doubting God. It is unbelief. Eventually, should our hearts become hardened, we doubt the very existence, even presence, of God himself. We become atheists, not necessarily in profession, but in function, in the way in which we live. All this we see in this passage. All this we see in the people of Israel. As it says in your notes, they doubted first God's provision. I was just reading this week as part of my daily program to read through the Bible. Actually, in one year, actually for me, it's two years. I'm a little slow, so I take it in two-year chunks. Just happened to be in Psalm 78 yesterday. I say just happened because it's no coincidence. Psalm 78 is a reflection of what happened to the people of God in Israel, how they responded to the testing of God. This psalm is recorded years later for future generations as a warning to God's people when they are tested. This psalm is written to us, too, as a warning this morning. Let me read from Psalm 78, verses 17 through 20. You don't need to ch- turn there? I'll read it. It states this. Yet they sin, that's the Israelites, still more against him rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their hearts by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? You hear the questions? Have you been there? Are you there right now? questioning, doubting God, his goodness, his ability to provide. If you truly follow him and his ways, that God will provide for all your needs. Questioning God usually leads to believing lies about God and even making flat accusations against God. Second bullet point, not only can we doubt God's provision, but often it leads to doubting God's character. We see this clearly in Exodus 16, verse 3. Let me read it to you. And the people of Israel said to him, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
whoa. Let's say the first part first, okay? Meat pots to the full? Excuse me? Bread to the full? I read this. I'm thinking that at an all-inclusive resort. Club Med Egypt. You know, five-star dining, filet mignons, $10 cocktails on the house. They were slaves in Egypt. Slaves. They were brick makers. They didn't have enough straw to make bricks to meet the demands of Pharaoh. They were crying out for deliverance. Yet suddenly, Egypt is the promised land. Oh, how, how easily it can happen, can it not our own lives? How green the grass can look on the other side of the Red Sea or in our lives. It can even be that way as Christians. All this sin. I never even knew sin before I became a believer. All these things. My life's so busy. I see my heart. It's so ugly. Oh, for the days. Do you really believe that? I don't think you do. We can be tempted, can't we? Oh, the grass can seem so much greener before deliverance. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It was a lie that the people of God were imbibing. But it gets worse. The people then accuse God of the intent to murder. You didn't deliver us. No, 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 God, to save us. You delivered us to kill us. Now they're ascribing motives to God. My friends, grumbling is unbelief. But it's not just unbelief. It's gossip and it's slander against God and his nature, who he is and what he's done, ultimately through Christ. And notice the final step. Not only doubting God's provision, doubting God's character, we come to doubting God's presence. Exodus 17, verse 7. And he called the name of the place of Massah and Meribah. He called it testing and quarreling. Because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, note this, is the Lord among us or not? God, where are you? Are you here? My friends, warning, danger, Will Rogers. We have a problem, okay? That warning is explicitly stated in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. As it is said, today, if you hear his heart, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For he, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt? Led by Moses, in verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Grumbling is unbelief. Grumbling is disobedience. It's a failure to trust God at his word. With grumbling, there is no rest. Put in your notes a quote from Matyer, a commentator on this passage. I'd like to read it for you. It pierced me this week. Testing God involves putting him on probation, withholding trust, pending evidence. For the Israelites, it meant doubting whether he who had proved sufficient in the past was still sufficient now that things had taken a different turn. Is that where you are this morning? Has life taken a different turn than you had imagined? 
God, this is not where I thought I'd be at age 30, at age 40, at age 50, at age 60. God, I thought I'd be married by now. God, I thought I'd have a brood of children by now. God, I thought I'd be retired, sipping margaritas by now. God, I thought I'd be out conquering kingdoms in your name, seeing thousands one to Christ, reaching the remotest parts of the earth. But God, I'm here. Why? God, I thought I'd be up here this morning. But I'm there. God, why? That's not how I thought it would turn out. God, are you there? Are you present? God, do you care? And you find yourself living in those cities, those towns called Massa and Meribah, testing and quarreling, grumbling, doubting God, withholding trust, living in disobedience to God's word and promises. Friends, family, we have no reason to doubt this morning if we live according to his word and according to his ways. God has come to turn the bitter waters into waters of blessing for those who repent and trust and follow him. All this is leading, do not grumble, do not test the Lord, to this point, trust and obey. Why? For in Christ, he has delivered us. For in Christ, he has provided for us. And in Christ, he has passed the test for us. Let's look at those three points in your notes. He has delivered us. Back to Psalm 78. It says of those who did repent in the wilderness. Verse 35. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. Do you remember what God has done for you? Do you remember what God has delivered you from? Slave to sin. We could do no else. We were haters of God and lovers of men. Guilty, vile, And helpless were we, objects of God's wrath and condemnation and damnation. No hope for the future, only pretending, living a lie. For those who are not in Christ this morning, who are not Christians, this would be your life. But for those who have trusted in Christ as your Savior, who atoned for your sins through his blood on the cross. This is no longer true of you this morning. It's no longer true. This is what he has delivered us from. But how quickly we forget the truth. How quickly we move from Exodus 15, verse 21, the song of Moses and Miriam, to verse 24, to grumbling and complaining in the wilderness. That is why we must look at the cross Time and time again. Why? Because we are forgetful. We are fickle people who need the gospel. Oh, but here's the punchline. Romans 8, verse 32 in your notes. Oh, this is good news for us this morning. He who did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him 
graciously give us all things, all that we need for life and godliness in him. Will he not? That is a rhetorical question. Yes, he will. Yes and amen. If he did not spare his own son in delivering us from all that we mentioned, will he not then give us all things to live a life of joyful obedience in him? Yes, he will. For he has not only delivered us, he has provided for us. Why? Because God is gracious. Three times in this passage, we are told that God heard the grumblings of his people. He heard and he acted. Even in their sin, he heard them and provided for them. Time and time again, we read in this wilderness narrative. Israel is never presented in this passage as starving to death or crying out for bread. Yet in his grace, God provides meat by night and bread in the morning for his people. You realize meat in the Middle East was a delicacy. Speaking of God's miraculous provision for his people, we read once again in Psalm 78. Listen to this, listen to this description of how God provided for his people. Verse 25 of Psalm 78. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. Verse 15. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly. Do you think God this morning is chinting on you? Do you think God this morning is just a little cheap? If so, it's really a commentary on your hearts rather than on God. For God graciously and generously provides all that we need to follow him and obey him. Do you really think if we obey the Sabbath, as we talked about two weeks ago, or do you really think if we tithe our income, do you think if we really put the church over our petty interests and even hobbies, that somehow we will lose out, that somehow we will go hungry, that somehow it would be less filled or fulfilled. It is a lie. It is a lie. Whether it's a log, chapter 15. Whether it's quail and manna, chapter 16. Whether it's a rock, chapter 17. God, in his providence, has provided all our needs in advance that we would follow and obey him. Ah, as good as that is, and that is good news, that's not even the half of it. For the manna, and the quail eventually ran out. Did it not? Forty years in the desert. It was there, then gone. The manna, the quail, the water from a rock, these were only temporary provisions in the Old Testament pointing to the ultimate provision in Christ Jesus. We cannot forget this point. God's physical provision in the desert points to our spiritual provision in Christ as New Testament believers. As it says in your notes, Christ is the bread of life. I love this passage. John 6, verse 49 through 51. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, 
so that one may eat of it and not die. I, Christ speaking, am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Christ is the manna from heaven. Oh, Christ was there, my friends. You may not read his name in this text. Oh, he was there. He's the manna. When we partake of him, we shall not die, but have life everlasting. Christ is also the rock in the desert, in the living water. We read from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. On to verse 3. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Do you see? Christ was right there. The pre-incarnate Christ right there with his people in the wilderness. God has planned the course we're to take. And he walks with us in the wilderness because he is leading us, showing forth his glorious provision time and time again. We would glorify him and find satisfaction in him, in him alone. God is committed to safeguarding his interests. What are God's interests? You, his people, whom he has redeemed and providing for all your needs through his son, Jesus Christ, both physically and spiritually. Christ is our sufficiency. He is our sustenance. He is the object of our hunger and delight. God delivered us. He forgave us to bring him to himself, that we would experience fellowship with God through the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. He forgave us, redeemed us, so we could be his and enjoy him forever. No matter if we're rich or poor that we would enjoy him, that we'd be satisfied in him and him alone. It would not matter where we live, what job we have, what has happened to us in our life, that we can find satisfaction in him. What a gift. That is the gift of Christ. I get the purpose and the meaning, fulfillment, all I can come from knowing and savoring the Savior, Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for us this morning? Means that lower gas prices, cheaper housing, a better job, improved health, not even a spouse or children, is the answer to our cravings, nor solution to our grumblings. No. Only Christ is. Why? Because He has come to turn a grumbling heart into a grateful heart. I realize this morning. Many of you may feel like you're in the wilderness right now. And you're not doing well. You are grumbling about your circumstances. And you're quarreling with God. If you're honest in the heart of hearts, you haven't passed the test. You have been found wanting. Perhaps you even feel beat up this morning. Let me tell you, there is good news. There is greatness. I don't want you to miss this point and go home in condemnation this morning. That is not my intent. Nor I believe it's the Lord's. I want to bring the truth of God's word to bear right now 
in this area of unbelief and struggle. I want to give you hope in Christ Jesus. We want to pray for you in a few moments. I'm letting you know now to prepare you. We want to pray for you, those who are struggling in the wilderness right now, who are struggling in grumbling and unbelief. We want to prepare you now to receive God's grace in just a few moments. Why? It says in your notes, see, because Christ has passed the test for us. Listen to this. Oh, this is good. We read in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days. Sound familiar? God's people, 40 years in the wilderness. Christ, 40 days in the wilderness. Why? To be tempted, to be tested. Oh, Christ was tested. Christ passed the test perfectly without sin. He passed the test where we have all failed. He did not sin. He did not grumble. He did not doubt God, even when he had no water or food to drink. My friend, Christ's victory this morning and passing the test is our victory this morning as well. If you're not a Christian this morning, this victory can be yours as well by placing your trust in faith in Jesus Christ, the bread of life, the living water, who has passed the test. His righteousness has been imputed to us. It is now ours. We can share in his victory. Where we have failed, Christ has been victorious. And Christ offers grace to us this morning and mercy in this fight of grumbling and unbelief. Listen to these amazing words. It's in your notes. Hebrews 4, starting with verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Listen to this. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Repent this morning, if need be. Come to the healer who turns bitter water into blessing. Oh Lord, may it be. I want to transition here very quietly. I believe God wants to do some ministering to you this morning. So if I can invite the worship team to come forth. As we do very quietly, I'd like to pray for us that God would prepare our hearts now, that he would impart faith to the unbelieving hearts. He'd impart grace to those who are grumbling this morning. We want to pray for you this morning. So can you bow your heads now? And a lot's going on. This is a precious moment that we want to steward well. For God wants to pour out His grace. Let us pray. Oh God, have your way this morning. Thank you for addressing our hearts. Thank you for the test. Lord, thank you for the trial. Lord, we say that only because you have made provision for us through your Son, Christ Jesus. Lord, will you speak to us this morning to those who are struggling with grumbling in a heart of unbelief? Would you pour out hope 
and grace in the midst of their desert journey. Lord, give us eyes of faith to apprehend your glory and your grace and your provision. May we see the log, the quail, the manna, the rock that you have put in our place in the journey that we are on. May we see Jesus Christ. But Father, that vision can grow dim and we can grow weary. So meet us now. As we sing, stir our hearts. Impart your faith and grace, we pray. Amen.